All right, everybody, how are we doing? Welcome back to Crime Theory with myself, Ron Swanson, and of course, John Wedger, our never-ending encyclopedia of knowledge, insight, and input into so many different cases. And tonight's no different. We're, 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 we're going with a, a theme this evening, and John is, I'm sure, going to blow our minds with the perspectives on these cases. Uh, some of them I know. I'm quite familiar with, with the main the main topic. Uh, but this evening, we're, we're diving into the realm of cases where children are the killers, where the young, innocent child format has been destroyed, and we're looking at some horrific en encounters where, where children are the, have, have taken their hand to, to murder. And John... I know you've been really, really um, wanting to do this uh, this special, and I'm excited to to finally do it. So, how are you? How's your week been? Before we jump in, how has your week been? Yeah, good, good. So I've um I've I've been around the country. Um, I've continued to do my uh my pants swimming. Um, did a a couple of swims, so they'll be going online. Um. It's really gaining a lot of traction. I've actually been recognised uh, in the street for my pants swimming videos, <laughs> and I was I was actually uh, approached by a girl, a girl, a guy himself who'd uh, uh, very suicidal in the past and had attempted suicide, and uh, he's got really engaged with my pants swimming videos. So it's it's you know even if one person uh, takes it on, that's good enough for me. Absolutely, and again, this is a cold water therapy that um helps all kinds of you know you know mental uh conditions and 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 helps with the physical uh take us through john i sound like an idiot trying to paraphrase yeah what, what yeah is. i mean it, it, it's an ancient uh remedy for, for mental health and, and for physical well-being but it does incredible things to your body i mean firstly uh people get depressed and they get medicated on the whole, well, I'm not saying everyone, but it's just choking general overall. And, and when you take antidepressant medication, psychotropic medication, one of the things it does, it slows down your metabolism. And people tend that people that are in a, a, a poor sort of mental health state anyway, they tend to then put on weight. And when people put on weight, it's not a good thing necessarily. On the whole, it's a bad thing and it causes greater depression. So you get weight gain. You get a lethargy, a slowing down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas the um, cold water therapy, uh, you know, a calorie is is the burning up of energy. You know, it, it's what can heat uh, a certain uh, volume of water by one degrees, and that's how calorific values. So, if okay. you're lowering body temperature, you're lowering the temperature. You, you're going to burn calories, so okay. you're going to lose weight plus the physical. Uh, element of, of probably the best aerobic exercise that there is, and that's swimming. Yeah. So you, you're gonna you're, you're gonna lose weight there anyway. It kickstarts the immune system. It raises um, endorphins by you know by two hundred percent. It raises adrenaline by a staggering five hundred percent. Wow. It, it, it can uh, kickstart greater production of testosterone in men. You know, uh, I could go on and on and on about yeah, the, it's, the, it's the unparalleled benefits of cold water swimming yeah. uh, without, you know, um, well, going think, down the cold water therapy I route. I think uh, the, the fact that you've, you've been reckoned, you know, that that guy came up to you 
and said that he found the benefits himself is is result enough um but yeah like like i say it's it's really really interesting the whole topic of the cold water therapy and even more interested in the fact that you're a policeman in his pants doing it for the right reasons mate so fantastic it's brilliant you know and again it's um it's only for the you know the the confident accomplished swimmer uh some of the rivers are going uh you're not allowed to swim in them because of the currents and the tides some can be dangerous um the cold water itself can in some in some circumstances cause a body to go into shock but um listen you know i, I would ignore a lot of that get in there you will have that instant degree of discomfort it goes very very quickly and it gives way to a, a euphoria and i'm telling you now it lasts for days and it does it lasts for days yeah. so but get yeah, going with it it's yeah, brilliant absolutely and like i say john uh, his links are in the description go check it out and if you think it will benefit you look into it more and let us know in the comments if it's worked and what you think so let's jump into it john let's 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 open up the 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 files and see what we're jumping into this evening let us know what our first case is and uh, the history yeah well so um this is a very disturbing uh, avenue genre of, of murder we're going down tonight and that's kids who kill uh, and by kids we're going under the uh pre i think it's 2006 amended children's act definition and this is an un under 16 year olds now the definition of a, of a child is under 18 we're going to go back to old school so it's under 16 now okay. the age of age of criminal responsibility starts on their ninth birthday so anyone over the age of nine is culpable under law in in, in the uk so we're talking about uh nine to 16 year olds who kill and and i've got um three three examples but one of them is, is uh, a joint venture it's a co-defendant thing okay and it's of um two 10 year old boys and this is a case i'm going to start with that that shocked not just the UK, but the world. And I'm talking about yeah. the despicable abduction, torture, um, uh, a grievous bodily harm, assault, and then the murder of, of a young two-year-old boy called Jane, Jamie Bolger. The police team, headed by Detective Superintendent Albert Kirby on the left, conducted a total of 20 separate interviews with the child defendants. Today, he and the rest of Number 1 Court at Preston heard tape recordings of three interviews with Child A. In them, he consistently denies murdering James Bulger, but gradually admits to being with the toddler for more and more time on the day of his death. But he says it was his co-defendant, Child B, who grabbed the baby's hand. It's not me, said A, because I wouldn't take James. At first, A says he remembers seeing James in the Strand shopping centre and was able to describe his clothing. In the interviews recorded in this room, a police officer asks him, That's why you noticed the anorak so much, because B had hold of James's hand. Is that right? Yeah, replied A. He went on, B said, come here, and he grabbed his hand and walked out of the Strand. He claimed, I told him to take him back. I'm getting all the blame for murdering him. We left him by the church. 
But that story was later to change when A admitted they'd taken James as far as this grass-covered reservoir. He said by now the toddler was crying for his mum and that the boys left him there. But that story too was to alter, with an admission in the fourth interview that the boys took James onto the railway line. He said child B had thrown paint into James's eye, but that apart from that, James was uninjured. We never killed him, he repeated. Child A was heard crying on the tape several times. Why can't I go home to my mum, he asks. The trial continues on Tuesday morning. Jonathan Monroe, News at 10, Preston. Bulger, a uh, little boy that was stolen um, from the, uh, the, the uh, Liverpool area and um, uh, the Walton region of Liverpool. And little uh, Jamie was taken by two 10-year-old boys. And one of the things I'm, I'm going to look into with, with all the suspects uh, of, of these cases are the similarities uh, between them all, you know, and we, you know, okay. we, we get this argument which we, we we've covered before um, on, on this show, and that is this nature nurture. You know, are, are they born or are they made? And, and yeah. I'm very much of the opinion that those that are born psychopathic are, are just so negligible. It's not worth wasting the effort on it. Yeah, you know, on the whole, they're made. You know, we make these. These kids are born innocent. Um, and they're born pure, and they just get sullied, dirtied, brutalised by life. And and like we've uh, we've discussed, and the fact is that eighty percent of all abuse of children goes on in the home. So these kids are products of their domestic, <coughs> their dysfunctional domestic environment. Yeah. Now, uh, so we've got little Jamie Bolger, two-year-old boy. We're going. Um, this is nineties, right? It's nineteen ninety-three. Nineteen ninety-three. Going back to 1993, um, and Jamie Bulger was out with his mother, Denise, and they were shopping um, in a shopping centre uh, in, in, you know, a, a working class region of Liverpool. And at the same time in this, in this area were two young 10-year-old boys, John Venables and Robert Thompson. Now, these two come from very similar uh, backgrounds. They, they come from dysfunctional. Uh, home lives. Um, the the worst out of the two at that time was Robert Thompson. Uh, came from a very tough uh, home <clears throat> life indeed. Absent father. Um, mother was struggling with alcoholism, things like that. A lot of violence in the home. Him and his siblings were in and out of the care system. You know, so this kid is—he's had it rough. You know, he, he's seen a lot of domestic violence, a lot of dysfunctionality. He was a frequent truanter from school. He, he would be uh, go through placement, school placement after school placement, uh, always in trouble, always getting excluded, and uh, in and out of the care system. And he would often be seen. And this is another thing that we see always out at night always out roaming the streets at night to lay his mother had totally lost control well you know it's a difficult one but yeah. did she ever really have control in the first place i mean um you've got to wonder that if he's wandering around at night and yeah you know, it leads up to the events that occurred you have to question that for sure yeah of course and, and you know when <sighs> one of the um accounts she gives to the press 
she's basically putting herself in the victim chair, you know, saying, oh, I did everything I could. And I, I don't think that's the truth. I think she's lying there. I don't think she did do everything she could. I think this is a woman who has, without a doubt, in my opinion, put her lifestyle before that, the needs of her children. Now, we might go down a, a deeper social path here and think, is she also a byproduct of a dysfunctional home life? But to be honest, I don't care. Um, that's her issue. Uh, that, and for me, I'm not going to engage in the discussion over that because, okay. you, you, you know, and I'll tell you for why, because she's now gone on to, to produce a kid uh, who's then gone on to kill. Now, now, where does a blame culture start and where does it stop? And, and it has been found, this is a very interesting stat, this, uh, that, that abuse goes on for three generations afterwards. And that has been cited in, in, in social services doctrines. Wow. But, but also... The ripple it's, effect. It's biblically stated as well, three generations. And it's a really bizarre fact. And it's something that I come across when I was investigating child abuse, um, was this three-generation thing. And, and it's actually stated in the Bible. And it's actually been proven, in fact. So um, there we go. We're sort of uh, cementing some yeah. biblical facts here. But it, it, and it's, it is. It's, um, you know, that, that the Bible goes on about familial uh, influence and all that. But, you know, again, you say the ripple effect. And... and that that too is just as true and um it, before it starts to get diluted out so you know um we got robert thompson a, a very tough little kid and he was actually um bullying uh, uh, one of his classmates and that was john venables so their their first sort of um relationship w was one of of acrimony and violence because john venables was his um uh victim of his bullying but then they then uh, went on to join an alliance and become friends and would be regularly seen out truanting. They would, they had a little camp. They would stay out, um, not go to school and actually would, would embark on shoplifting sprees around the Bootle area, the Walton area of Liverpool, very uh, impoverished working class areas. And John Venables, again, comes from a very dysfunctional, screwed up, violent, you know, damaged, background uh, so they've got a lot in common these two boys um now do they think, do you think that's what unified them as a, as a team yeah yeah and and it's strange isn't it you know birds of a feather flock together and and you know when you're at school that we we had a lad who joined our school from a really rough housing estate um in, in london and within about a month, he knew all the bad boys in the area. And he'd only moved into our sort of area um, a month before. And almost instantly, he got uh, linked in and associated with, with all the bad lads. And you think, well, how does it work? Because there, there's that gravity, that, that uh, magnetism or whatever it is that, that, that draws people um, together. So it's, um, yeah, it's a strange... Uh, yeah, it's a strange phenomenon. Sort of, it really is. Yeah, yeah, strange sort of bond that it has, and um, but out the two, it was um, it was you know Mr. Thompson that was the worst, and and the police actually predicted that um, when when sentence was passed on them, that it would be 
Thompson that would reoffend, and in fact, it was the opposite. It was uh, Venables. Yeah, it's, and in, Thom- it's, it's interesting that uh, at the start on paper, it was Thompson who appeared to be the worst of the two. And I'm not going to say much more because I'm sure you're going to go into it uh, in due course. But yeah, Venables is a still a horrible individual. Carry on. Yeah, and, and, a, and a registered offender now. Yeah, and yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get into all of that. Like I say, keep on keep on track with the early days. Right, so, so, so what's happened is that uh, um, Denise has gone out shopping with her son. She's gone into a butcher's shop and she's gone to pay over the counter for, you know, some meat or whatever, I don't know. And she's literally taken her hand and her eye off of her son who wanders out the shop just as these two a little uh, reprobates are going by. And they quickly swift the boy away. Now, what also come out that this was their second attempt that day. Uh, they'd already, already just prior to this, abducted another young boy, led him away. But the mother caught them and took the boy back. And they just said that they thought the kid was lost and they were trying to help him find his mum. But A week ago today, little James Bulger disappeared while shopping with his mother in the Bootle Strand shopping precinct. Two youths were seen walking him away. His body was found two days later on a railway line in Walton near Liverpool. Today, the police investigating the murder announced a breakthrough in their inquiries. Following the abduction of James Bulger from the New Strand shopping precinct in Bootle on Friday the 12th of February 1993 and the subsequent findings of his body on the railway line in Walton on Sunday the 14th of February, Two boys aged 10 years from Walton area have been arrested and are currently being interviewed by Merseyside Police at police stations on Merseyside. It is stressed that the boys are currently being interviewed in relation to these matters. At this stage, it is not known if charges will follow. Today's announcement came after hundreds of calls to the incident room overnight following the first screening on television last night of an enhanced video photograph of the two youths seen with James. It can no longer be shown for legal reasons. More than 40 names were generated, but three kept cropping up, police said. However, one report says the arrests of the two 10-year-olds were actually made yesterday morning in secret. Police apparently keen to avoid the disturbances earlier this week when a 12-year-old boy was questioned, then eliminated from inquiries. At lunchtime, Superintendent Kirby was asked whether it was possible that 10-year-olds would appear in court facing a charge of murder. Yes, I, I think in all probability that will, will be the obvious final outcome. Uh, I'm still waiting now to speak with the Crown Prosecution Service uh, and other legal representatives to find exactly what course of action uh, we will have to be taking. In a case like that, when you have the two boys caught, you've got the evidence gathered and the police are looking at it. When they see the the first attempt fail, okay, that must obviously solidify of the, course. The, the preemptive the preemptiveness yeah. of what happened, right? Because yeah. you could you could argue that it was an impulse crime against a a pre a pre planned crime. Now there's a big difference in the sentencing, I would imagine, right? If it was pre yeah. no. preordained and opportunistic is of that, course is that right? yeah it is okay so, so so we're looking at now we've gone into the the remit of you go down the criminal attempts act now a, a criminal attempt is an attempt which is more than preparatory to the commission of an offense 
So someone has to make more than an effort to try and get hold of something. So, if you, for example, um, someone to be done for attempted abduction or attempted theft, say a theft of, of a purse from a handbag, they can't just have approached a woman and looked into a bag. They've got to then put their hand near enough in and grab the purse and then released it at that moment. So like a shoplifter, it's not an offence for someone to pick something up, pull it down the jumper, course, but the course. moment they walk past the till, then they're going into criminal attempts um, uh, territory, and then the moment they leave the shop, they're actually going into completing the commission of the offence. So these kids are then gone really from uh, what could have been shown as an impulsive, we really didn't want to kill him, but it just happened because we panicked and we didn't see a way back so you know that would be a manslaughter but these kids and we're going to go into this in a bit more depth have got a premeditated uh mindset of course you know they've gone out that day to abduct a kid of course and 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 to to kill it so that their their first attempt they wanted to get a kid and then throw it in front of um traffic so you know these are brutal little bastards you know they were going to take a kid and chuck him in front of um a wow. car on a busy highway a little tiny think, baby do you so, think maybe that's um, why they took him down the railroads and maybe they yeah, yeah well, well, well they did they did and they, i'm going to sort of mention something now this okay. is open source um and it is out there <laughs> but it, it never officially came out there and I, I i had heard similar from police colleagues as well but it, it i wouldn't Ordinarily, what I'd heard from police colleagues, because a lot of crimes, and I have mentioned this before, I have had insight information into crimes that have occurred and certain aspects of that crime never made it public, whereas officers have told me. And also in respect to certain celebrities, the certain celebrities, uh, I can't name them. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I've been told from officers that, that have been on sensitive inquiries that these people are, have committed philic, um, or sexual acts against children, uh, you know, and so it's no surprise when things do come out, um, when they're dead or, or, or subsequently when when they get arrested. You know, I've 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 heard quite a few things about a few people, but I, wow. I will have to keep that keep yeah. that to myself because because that's the game I was in, yeah, you know, and um, that you know it might not get out, but. We we discuss these things. We tell things, people, you know, and that's what you do in any job, you know. Um, so th- these two had, had got this boy, and what they've done then, they've taken him on on this prolonged march around, you know, the slummy areas of Liverpool, and they'd walked this two year old kid two and a half miles. They'd even gone past Walton Lane Police Station, so th- they couldn't have even said, that, you know, that we were going to hand him in to the police station we did you know we, we took it too far because they, they strolled straight past the police station and then they embarked on on this journey of, of torture on this boy um one of the things they were going to do robert thompson wanted to um uh, they took him to a canal the kid and robert thompson wanted to um throw him in the canal and drown him um they then that didn't work so they then decided to throw bricks at him, uh, throw bricks at his head. Um, that didn't work because he kept getting up. They were surprised that he kept getting up. Passers-by even went by while the kid was in pure distress, crying and covered in blood and did nothing. 
you know, so there was no intervention at all. Yeah. Um, his body was absolutely battered. There, there was um, scores of injuries. There was 42 injuries on his body. When, when his body was found, it was actually cut in half. Um, they, um, they stamped on him. Uh, Robert Thompson's uh, trainers had blood splatters on them, which shows that um, he kicked the little boy in the face. They threw paint. They'd stolen um, little, little airfix paints, and they'd opened them up and poured paint into the boy's eyes. Oh uh, they oh picked God. up what's I mean, called what... that. Just going through the list of injuries up to where you're at is so disturbing. And you sort of have to keep reminding yourself these are two kids you're talking about, because yeah, yeah, the, ten year old the brutality. Boys, ten year old boys. I mean, we talked about um, the Yorkshire Ripper and the brutality. This is a fully grown man we're talking about, you know. And for some reason, that seems more digestible um, than these two kids, because how screwed up was their life yeah. up until this point, John? And again, I'm sorry but, to interject. So just carry on with. But, uh, but, but but what we're looking at is that some of the crimes committed by adults, it, it's a manifestation of a childhood intention. So it's only when they get the opportunity in adult life that they carry out the, these childish intentions that they've harboured for many years and they've nurtured and they've festered within their psyche. Um, a lot of kids don't get the opportunity, so, but it doesn't mean that the intention isn't there. And sometimes, how many kids say, I hate you, I want to kill you? Um, and at that time, do they actually mean it? Well, maybe they do. Yeah. Um, and that'll be dependent on how the kids brought up. Of There's course, a lot yeah. of kids that come from childhood uh, trauma that go on to hurt animals because it's the one thing, I'm in pain, you're in pain. So it's that thing is, I'm hurting, I want you to hurt because it normalises your pain, you see? So... Yeah, which isn't, and and, and it's, isn't, it's one of them things. It, it's it's all to do with the opportunity, the intention. When the intention meets the opportunity, then you've got murder. Yeah. Um. They they, they dropped the kid on his head. They they took him to a wall and dropped him on his head. He's still alive. They're bricking him in his head, bricks and stones. A little two-year-old boy. Four. You know they they take him to the railway line. He Four. this little kid had ten skull fractures 10 fractures to his skull it's horrific um they, they've got a fish plate which is um uh, it, it's it's a thing that when you when you look at a railway line it's a thing that um sort of um bolts together to, to join the two pieces of track uh that's called a fish plate uh, they, they got hold of a fish plate and they beat the boy's head in with a fish plate now this this was mentioned open source um uh that uh, i don't know who it was it might have been a member of uh, one of the officers actually said this but there there were batteries um that were used that were sort of inserted or attempted to be inserted into this boy um there was sexual assault so he was sexually assaulted and and the autopsy around this proved that so there was a sexual element to this as well which which would indicate that these kids have been exposed to, to abuse yeah, as well, yes. and and what was weird because um, at the time there was uh, talk that these kids had been 
negatively influenced by a film called Chucky about a little doll. Yeah, yeah, Child's Play it was called. Uh, that, that, Child's that's, Play, that's, that's it. That's Child's the narrative Play. that was drilled into me. I was 12 when this happened, right? And I remember the, the movie. I remember seeing the movie. As you do, you know, back in the day, you stay over at a friend's house, you get their older brother to go and rent you a, a movie you're not meant to be seeing uh, back in the VHS days. And that was everywhere, John, that this movie was the reason this little boy died. I mean, let's be honest, that was what the press went with. It was completely blamed on child's play. Yeah, and some so many injuries were conducive to, to things that had gone on in that film. Um, so that that and that may account for the reason why they tried to put batteries inside this kid, because um, it might be that Chucky had batteries. I don't know, but there was always this thing about batteries as well. Um, once something I think it might have been withheld uh, from a press release, but it later did get released, so it is out there. So we're not going into a territory that we shouldn't here. Um, so and then what they did, uh, they to cover it up so they now take so so what they've done is they've they've abducted the kid um they've attempted it early on and they, they admitted that the kid was going to be pushed in front of a car uh they then got this kid and you know over a two-hour period they've tortured this kid um to, to the point where they've killed him okay uh brutally tortured him in horrific injuries, 42 injuries with 10 skull fractures, blood on him. Uh, Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Cannonballs. This summer, it's not about the size of those cannonballs. Thank God, as I can barely see them. <laughs> well, they were big enough to do the job, weren't they, Jen? <laughs> we kicked. It's about making a splash with our friends at Manscaped. Prep for barbecue season by making sure your grill master has the hottest dog seen this summer. When you're at the cookout, let the meat speak for itself with Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0. It's time to get ready and not sweaty. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to guarantee you'll have the most mouth-watering treat at the party. They have built the ultimate bundle for your summer grooming. So, get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEAN20, S-H-A-U-N-20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code SEAN20. Manscaped, the perfect way to get your patties sizzling hot this summer. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. Back to the podcast. So in as well. And then they're now trying to cover it up. So. Again, that that shows also some sort of um, criminal intention and, and a guilt and a need to, to to cover up so they don't get caught. And initially, they didn't get caught. And but what they did was they threw his body and covered it and put it on the railway line. And a train actually cut the little baby's torso in two. That's uh, horrific. You, listen, just you just sparking my brain here. Do you think that was an attempt, two questions, do you think that was an attempt to hide their, what they had done, okay, by the, the train mauling the little boy and the evidence being destroyed? And do you think that if they'd succeeded with the first abduction and their plan was to take him and push him in front of traffic, do you think their, again, their plan was to torture and abuse the boy before they threw them in front of traffic? It seems like that end result of, you know, 
moving machinery hitting a human body is quite you know a good way of hiding the evidence i would guess do you think that yeah, yeah well well if we look back the, the, the second time i've heard this and uh i heard this uh, actually from the horse's mouth so we go back to the murder of jack the hat mcvitty by the notorious cray twins after they murdered him you know they stabbed and beat the guy um he his body was just left and the, the crow twins ran off and left the body there they then handed the body over to uh two brothers the lambriano brothers so we've got chris and tony lambriano and a guy called ronnie bender and the, and the crow twins ran off left him and they laid, laid to contact him and said you know take the body and throw it over the bridge onto the railway line and make out that it's a train city um you know so it and of course it wouldn't work so, and i i know chris lambriano very well he, he's a tremendous guy and a born-again christian uh and has many times repented his, his his previous wrongdoings so um but you know so it looks like these kids that's what they were trying to do is cover it up yeah that's, um, that's what it would and, and make out a trait it was an accident yeah. and then get away with it but of course they were caught on on cctv it was in its infancy back then uh, but they were caught. That um, they were caught in not only in the uh, uh, shopping centre where we, we might recall this very grainy image of one of the boys holding uh, little Jane, Jamie Bulger's hand and leading him away, and um, and also there was a private business I think in Walton Lane caught the two walking by with the kid. So yeah, you know that, that there was evidence of them there. The the, the kids were caught. Uh, I think about two days later. And um, I think the, the police went around and, and nicked him just before they were going, getting ready to go to school. And, and the one thing that shocked the officers were how young they looked. And, the, you know, these are kids that were uh, very undernourished. They were young looking for their age. They were 10 years old, but, but they, they reckon that, um, I think it was Venables, looked like he was eight. Um, and uh, initially they lied and then they did make a an admission to what they've done they sort of blamed each other for a while they stood trial um they were found guilty of murder uh they stood trial they they wanted it put down to manslaughter but the the they the jury deliberated and come back with a majority verdict of murder and they were given 10 years apiece uh so they've done their sentence and they're out and and, and the one thing when when we move on to, to one of the next cases of, of child killers uh that this case invoked massive outrage and and threats even to this day on the boys if they're they're ever identified on on their lives are still being made whereas when we go on to the next there's the brutal murders exactly the same brutal horrible murders of very young children before we jump and over, absolutely no outrage what would have happened if thompson and venables had done the exact same crime when they were eight years old, legally. No, no nothing, nothing. They would have been placed into. Um, uh, they were they, they couldn't be culpable of a crime. Fucking so hell. they would just be be placed into secure accommodation and and classes where disturbed young boys. Um, and that's that. So they and the, one one of the things that when they stood trial, uh, or they even went for their first appearance 
because they were both placed into the care system immediately and taken away from their parents, and rightly so, because the parents had, had failed them. Uh, well, what shocked the officers was how much older they looked, because now they're getting regular meals, you know, oh, and yeah. they're, they're getting, for the first time in their lives, they're getting structure. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to um, make reference to... It's quite to, sad. Uh, it's quite sad, John, really. Yeah, when... it, it, it's incredibly sad. And, you know, okay, they're, they're culpable now by law, but they're 10 years old. Yeah. I mean, anyone who, who's a parent... Even when your kids are eighteen, they're still kids. You have to wonder. And they're still influential. You have to wonder the thought process on that day <laughs> of those boys because they are ten, you know. And you have to question just how volatile their existence had been up until that point. Because again, if we were talking about the same crime and little Jamie had been killed quickly, or there wasn't this prolonging there wasn't this preemptive nature there wasn't this bringing paint and batteries like yeah. well, well this this see kids kids kill they, so they express unreal. when kids kill what they do is they express poorly reasoned motivations right now if we we if we um put that in the mix with the fact that there's anger through childhood trauma you know we've got a dangerous combination oh i i, com I completely agree it's just yeah and, just trying and, to and fathom you, this is if just... you look what, what, well if you look what the, what happens gone it's just when you try and, like I say, when you try and comprehend this as children and just hearing you go through the injuries, the prolonging, the abuse, the torture, and this, even having the, 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 the savviness to consider how to cover up the crime. And then we, we, we go have to, we have to recheck that these are 10 year olds. It's just, it, it's such a horrific case. I wouldn't have liked to have been part of the legal team making decisions on this because I imagine there, there was a certain amount of to and fro and back and forth because they were so young, but the crime was so brutal. So, I mean, I completely yeah. understand the way that the, the, the whole thing went. So, But, but, but if we look at uh, the third world, you know, we see it in Africa where child soldiers are used because there's no reasoning with, like we say, expressed poorly reasoned motivations. So there's no reasoning with, with um, a child, an angry child. You've got pure narcissism and petulance. Yeah. And and if you then give them a gun, that's yeah. a very very dangerous combination. And this is what you get when you get um, perpetrators of, of, of very cruel, sadistic domestic violence. Usually, these are people or already sort of um, violent crime like that. These are these are people that have usually come from very traumatic backgrounds, and they've got a very very low emotional age. So, like we mentioned before about the emotional clock stopping. These are grown adults whose emotional clock stopped when they were very young, and the younger, the more dangerous they're going to become. So, if the, their their trauma is very young and their emotional clock stopped young, so you could have a grown man with, with, within of thirty years old, for example, with the intelligence of a thirty year old. He's physically matured to a thirty year old, but his emotional intelligence is out of a two year old. That's highly, highly dangerous, and you're going to get someone then who is incredibly cruel and incredibly selfish and won't, you cannot reason with them. Um, and this is when you get these, these very nasty, vicious 
domestic violence perpetrators. Uh, and I've recently just come across a case like it. Um, okay. it's, it's a very, very fascinating topic. Um, but this is adults. We're now dealing with the rawest of the raw kids. We're taking this right the way back now. We're taking a timeline, you know, we're, we're, you know, we've gone right back and we're picking from the orchard here. Um, and and the, the one of the things is that um, Thompson, Robert Thompson, he really warmed to that secure environment. He became uh, very engaging. He went on to gain quite high academic achievements for a kid of his age. Um, he grew well because he was getting a good nutrition and a, and a balanced environment. And not much is really known. There's rumours he might have gone abroad to live, uh, but but no one ever heard from him. He just went on to develop, to grow, to mature, and not to commit any crime. We don't know whether there was any remorse or anything, but Venables is a different case. Before you, before you jump onto Venables, what is the process for someone like Thompson? So he's gone into winter's protection, and how much monitoring is done on someone in witness right. protection? Okay, so, so he will get <clears throat> what's called lifelong anonymity. So uh, this will have to come from the Secretary of State. He says, oh, this, this man is, is going to be a risk for the rest of his life, and anyone around him is going to be a risk, and his family going to risk. So I would have thought his family would have got protection. There's strict terms and conditions that go with this. Um, see, people think that that when you go under witness protection, you know, it, it, it's if, especially if you live in a poor area, well, it can only get better, but it doesn't work like that. You get what's called like for like. So if you're from a tower block in London and you're going to witness protection, you'll get moved to a tower block in Leeds, for example. You know, so you will get like for like. You'll, you'll just replace one shithole for another shithole. Uh, but you'll be banned from an area and you'll be banned from certain people and you'll you'll be taught, uh, really, basically, how to build a legend, how to build a lie um, and stick to that lie. You, you'll get help with um, educational certificates, for example. So someone like Thompson, I would have thought that they, he would have been given false educational certificates in, in, in well, actually, not false, but they will be in a new pseudonym name. Um, his passport will be different. He will be taught a new legend. He will have a whole new script of his life, will be taught, and it will be reiterated and reiterated. And I would have thought the police would have had a lot of input on that. It's exactly the same process that uh, undercover officers do when they do infiltration work. They will have a legend which will hold up to the highest of scrutiny and they will have documentation to back it up. And, how, um, so, is, is there, and, is and any, he will be monitored yeah, monitor, constantly. That's, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, tell us about but, the monitoring. But if he goes outside of the terms and conditions, then there's nothing anyone can do. He's on his own. Um, but he, it, it will just be handed over to another team. There will be a witness protection team that will always be on it, always on it. And, and, and the same um, when you get, uh, court cases there's certain witnesses will have protection put on them and officers will be on round the clock surveillance on them and if anyone wow. goes near them boom and so and and if you you violate uh and intimidate a witness you're going to prison for a very very long time okay 
you know, so it, it, it's a problem, um, you know, if you, you, you hinder that process. Of course. But that person has to adhere to it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they'll be in, in no sort of um, two minds about so what's some, expected of the terms and conditions. So somewhere but, um, in, in the police force in the UK, someone knows exactly what Thompson's up to right now. I, I, I believe he may well be abroad. Yeah. Um, that that's what was mentioned. See, it's there, it's interesting it? that structure and normality, right? Which and I use that loosely. You know, a bedtime, a getting up time, straight meals, education—that normality. When Thompson was exposed to that, he flourished. You know, as you say. Yeah, and yeah. We're now gonna. I'm gonna let you just continue where I yeah. interrupted you. Well, well, well yeah. Venables. So Venables was different. Venables. Um, he was caught up in trauma. Um, he ended up um, at the age of 17 having, having sex, being caught having sex with a female uh, worker at the institution he was in. Uh, Venables was sent um, to a place called Red Bank Secure Unit. And uh, Red Bank's going to crop up. Uh, Red Bank has had two notorious inmates and we're going to discuss both of them tonight. Uh, Red Bank is in Newton, Le Willows, in Merseyside. And um, Thompson went uh, to one in Manchester. Uh, Venable stayed on the manor, as we say, down here. And he um, secured basically their kids' prisons. Um, very structured. Uh, back then would have been a very regiment, regimented regime. And I've, um, I've been in many, many secure units because uh, a lot of the kids are that we dealt with ended up in secure units. Um, so tough environments, kids coming from very, very traumatic, tough backgrounds. But, you know, they're, they're, they've got the staff. There will be one-to-one staffing on, on some leaves, maybe two-to-one staffing. So they'll be top heavy with staff. So he was caught having sex with a female worker. She was then dismissed. Um, he had uh, a lot of girlfriends. Um, he was drinking heavily, doing a lot of drugs. Um, he, he's been arrested for assault, affray, and drugs. He's he, doing a lot of cocaine. Um, and he, the police were after him uh, after, a, a, I think, a, an affray and drugs and assault uh, allegation. And when they went round to his place of residence, they found him trying to dismantle a computer and rip out the hard drive. They caught him in the act. And wow. uh, the hard drive was analysed and it come back with, um, I think, something like 117 chart-graphic, you know, very uh, disturbing images. They remain among the most haunting images of our generation, two-year-old James Bulger being led to his truly gruesome death. His family have had to live with the release of his killers, John Venables and Robert Thompson, and now the knowledge that one of them breached the terms of that release. On her Twitter page, James Bulger's mother, Denise Fergus, says she would like to let everyone know John Venables is where he belongs tonight, behind bars. She asks, is this my son's justice? It may have happened 17 years ago, but Merseyside has certainly not forgotten nor is it prepared to stay in the dark about why John Venables is back behind bars. Local newspapers have fought a vigorous campaign against the secrecy surrounding Venables and Thompson. They argue that it has to stop. 
I think it's going to seriously shake public confidence in the way the justice system operates because you, under, you appreciate sometimes there has to be a degree of secrecy in the public interest, but sometimes you know, the, the rights of the individual are perhaps being allowed here to uh, outweigh the public interest. You know, there's a huge amount of public concern and people do need to know this information. Robert Thompson was always regarded by the police as the one who led John Venables astray. And on Merseyside, there's surprise about the one who's crossed the line. I think out of the two boys, uh, Venables the one who I thought would have stayed out of trouble. But what we don't know from the statement that's been released is really the reason why. You know, has Venables breached the conditions of his parole by coming here to Merseyside, making contact with people, not reporting? Or has he, has he been arrested for some criminal offence? The 10-year-old boys who became the youngest suspects of the 20th century to be charged with murder are now 27-year-old men. They have been granted anonymity for life. The lawyer who acted for Venables insists that the sentences are never-ending. This is the thing about it. I've always said that these boys might be at liberty, but they'll never be free, is an expression I've always used. For the simple reason, he's had to live a lie since the moment he's been out to piece together for the purpose of future relationships. You know, when if he's asked, where did you go on your holidays when you were 14? This kind of thing. So there's a, there's a permanent lie. So he's had to piece together uh, his past, and it's a very, very difficult task. They have a new identity now and are no longer Thompson and Venables. But such is the enduring public revulsion and curiosity that they will forever live under the shadow of knowing that their anonymity is never completely guaranteed. Molly, what could have triggered the move to send Venables back to jail? Well, under the terms of his release, he could have been recalled on licence at any time for the, for the rest of his life for a variety of reasons. The first would be if he'd committed another criminal offence or series of minor offences, for example. John Venables was not allowed to return to Merseyside without prior consent, nor was he allowed to contact the family of James Baldwin. Now, we don't know which of those uh, reasons, if any, led to his return to prison, and the Justice Secretary, Jack Straw, said it was right not to divulge that information. So, he's now um, on the Sex Offenders Registrar, and he, he sort of failed in many ways. Uh, he himself had um, given away his identity. He was caught, he was banned from uh, ever contacting the Borger family or, or entering Merseyside on release, and he was caught um, in Merseyside. There, there's talk that he actually would visit the, the crime scene. Now, the argument then is is that for to put things at rest, I, you know, we don't know uh, because not not much is not much is known about. Um, about him because it's uh it's subject to you know um a closed case because it involves a child a child victim so we, we don't know too much there's not been much disclosure on it um yeah what what he's doing now where he is just don't know just don't know but i would have thought he, he's a handful for any of his teams but you know the the, the uh senior investigating officer 
you know, said that out of the two, he was the one we thought would, would make a recovery and, and the opposite occurred. So you've, you've got both sides of, of the coin with this one. Yeah. Do you, do you think that both these abused kids solidified their unity over their trauma that they can relate to? And yeah. at that stage, Thompson was the worst of the two. Do you think yeah. in a way the younger Thompson created and was the final catalyst for creating the the grown version of Venables? Well, well I think um, uh, at the time, uh, both of them were, were very damaged and, and Thompson was, was more dominant out of the two. Um, these are both kids that, that had so much anger and trauma in them and then it's gone into this perverted lust uh, for murder it's bloodlust as it were I mean there's there's elements of to assaults in this case um, and we just don't know I mean they, they've been divested from each other whether or not there was any communication between the two I doubt that that was the case um, but one has failed and the other one hasn't yeah. and you know, it's, I, I really, I don't know. I really, it's a difficult one to. Um, uh, but Venables did go down the route of of almost self destruction with, yeah. with drink, heavy drink, and drugs, and uh, so it's preying on his mind. Yeah, you know, there, there's no evidence that I've been made aware that he boasted over it or he, he um got turned on by the murder. What yeah. he did, um, but there's obviously something something there deviantly awry because he ends up um, viewing child pornography at a very young age. Now, so, what did you? There was an interview that Sean done uh, a while ago with a prisoner who I'm going to play the clip just now. I'm going to say, let me just take a timestamp. It's in his name because I actually got pulled in. I got arrested for it. John Venables come in there. It is allegedly that I've done him, but John Venables come into that prison. He's a prolific. And a murder. So I'm working as a cleaner on the wing. The SO come down to me. He said, Joe, he said, Do you know the guess who's just come in here? He said, John Venables. He said, He's upstairs. He said to me, Well, allegedly, sorry, <laughs> give me your bank account details. I'm going to put £500 in your account and I want you to do him bad. Did he know you had two days left? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a wing cleaner. So I've got a brown steel toe cap pair of boots on. He's, he's let me and Mark out and Venables and the rest of the wing is locked down. I think I'm starting the side of the jaw. He's gone over. This is allegedly this bit. His head's been jumped on a few times. Someone with still toe cap boots on, right? He's in a pool of blood on the floor. So Mark went upstairs. He's come back down. He was white as that bit of paper. Joe said, I've got some bad news. Allegedly, he said, I think he might fucking die. I've got to mention. Right. So we've touched on this case, John. Is there anything else involving the Bulger case that you, you want to bring to light before we move on? No, no. I, I, you know, I think we've sort of. Um, explore that one as much as we can and we haven't heard of a similar case really since then in the uk um and not, such not. a vicious one but this isn't to say that it has happened in the past and it has and the next two cases i want to go on they've got an even more disturbing element to them and uh okay. now, now the next two cases the similarities again we've got a, a love looking uh, patterns there's patterns to everything and and investigating a lot of investigating is looking for patterns and some people are very very good at looking for patterns um i like to think i was quite good at it i wasn't the best but you know i was still um very good at it and, and what makes 
the, the these next two um, child killers are that they were both female. They're both girls. Okay, wow. So one of them is the youngest ever female killer. So she's the youngest girl to have killed. And then and and the and the other one is the youngest ever girl to have murdered. And okay. the difference being that the first one is a case of Mary Flora Bell, and she got convicted of the manslaughter of two young boys. And the other one we're going to talk about, and of course, uh, Mary Bell, um, she was 10 years old when she did her first killing. And uh, the the next one is a, a girl called Sharon Carr. And she um, was 12 years old when, when she murdered. Uh, now, I'm going to start with, uh, Mary Bell because she predates Sharon Carr. Now, Mary Bell was born in 1957 in, in uh, the Newcastle area, Northumberland. And here is a word from today's sponsor, Aura. If you Google someone, you can find out all kinds of personal information about them. This information is accessible because of data brokers who profit by selling your information to robocallers, telemarketers, spammers. You can use my link, https dot dot forward slash forward slash aura dot com. Aura is A-U-R-A forward slash Sean Atwood, S-H-A-U-N-A-T-T Wood to try two weeks for free and see how many data brokers are sharing your info. Also linked in my description box on this YouTube version or scan the QR code on the screen. Aura also monitors your emails and passwords to see if they were involved in a data breach and exposed on the dark web and gives you the recommendations on what to do. Aura has almost every internet safety tool you'll ever need all inside one app. Mary Bell murdered two boys on separate occasions in the summer of 1968. Okay. And she was convicted of manslaughter, making her Britain's youngest female killer. She was released from custody in 1980. Right, so the first boy she, she murdered was a four-year-old lad called Martin Brown. And he had actually been uh, poisoned and, and it suffered uh, injuries from a fall. And the next one was a three-year-old um, called Brian Howe. Now, Brian had uh, been strangled and it actually been mutilated in as much as Mary Bell had carved her initials onto his dead body. Oh, this is right. clearly, and, clearly, and, and this look, is a time period thing where, I mean, this, she, this would never have gone to manslaughter if it was not in the 60s, clearly. And I'm, yeah. just, I'm just chiming in. Carry on. Uh, well, Mary Bell was a second notorious inmate of the Red Bank Secure Unit. So she was one of its first uh, inmates. And she was the only girl. Um, there was later allegations that she was assaulted in there, and um, and actually, uh, someone actually did tell me that they knew a guy that was in, engaged in in some sort of relationship with her while she was in there. So uh, it was a strange conversation I had the other day with someone. They went, oh, I remember that girl. She was doing this to a friend of mine." When... So anyway, uh, now yeah. and Mary Bell, you know, you got to look again. She she came from. A very, very traumatic background. Her mother was a prostitute. Um, her mother was Betty Bell. Uh, she, 
Mary never really knew her father, but there was rumours he, he was a guy called Billy Bell, uh, a, a local criminal, petty criminal, really, just just in a nutcase from, from the area. Um, she grew up in, you know, one of the roughest uh, cities in the UK, and she was not only from the roughest part of that city, she was from the roughest street in the roughest part of one of the roughest cities. Uh, growing up in, in, you know, the post-war, late 50s, very rough, very impoverished. She was a victim of a lot of abuse. Um, on one occasion, her mum threw her out of a first-floor window. She was she would be regularly drugged by her mother. There was allegations that, that she was being abused by all sorts. Her mother was an active prostitute who specialised in sadomasochistic dominatrix-type sex. Whoa. Um, in the home, and they lived in a very small home. So Mary was exposed to horrendous stuff. On one occasion, Mary's mother sold her to a mentally ill woman who later returned her. What? Um, you know, horrendous. So as a young kid, she was very, very violent. She would fight with boys. She would fight with anyone. But there was something really striking about this girl. She was very little. And if you see pictures of her, she has the most striking blue eyes. And uh, I implore anyone, there's two photos of her. One's quite a grainy black and white, but one is a, is a more composed picture. And the second one, she's a bit fatter in the face. The second picture of her, you look at them eyes. They are absolutely demonized eyes. They are, have got a very hypnotic glare to them. Um, and they're, they're worrying. And a lot of people, when they, they gave witness testimony, said that they were frightened of her because of her glare. And if she set her, her sight on you, it would bring you into fear. Um, one of the officers who, who was set to interview her had to step down, he said, because her eyes were actually mesmerising him. And she, she was a young kid. You know, she's a 10-year-old kid. So what she did was she wow. was always, again, roaming around the streets she would go up to boys. Her targets were boys. So there was this, this even at a very young age, a hatred for, for men, boys, do you, do you whatever. Think, do you think that backs the theory of abuse? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I think this girl had, would, have, would have experienced severe sexual abuse, um, in my opinion. Again, I'm, I'm not factually backing that, that up because back then I don't think that they would have conducted a pediatric abuse medical on the girl because it it probably wasn't priority back then but if we was to look at the pattern i'd say yes um she um <clears throat> she became very promiscuous uh when she was in the care home which would probably indicate uh that that as as an argument um she would have undoubtedly seen her mother engaging in very vicious uh domineering practices um her mother had no regard for the girl so whether or not um to make extra money her mother um used her in in her, her sex business i don't know i'm well, just speculating we're talking about a woman it would who make sold sense. Her child i mean we're talking about women who sold their child i mean you have to yeah. assume the the i mean you have to assume the worst i mean i'm sorry yeah and and so she got hold of uh, one boy who was dropped from a height. Uh, so this wasn't one of the, the victims that was murdered. So earlier uh, in the same period in 1968, a kid was found uh, 
brutalised and, and dazed a young boy. And he later said that Mary had thrown him out of a first floor window, which, again, is that's just replicating what happened to her. Um, the boy she, she did kill, she had abducted. What she would do to boys, she would uh, say that she had healing hands and that, that she could cure their um, sore throats. And she would then rub their throats gently and then she'd strangle them and try and strangle them. Now, maybe that was part of the masochistic sex that was, she'd witnessed um, just her mother I was just about to say that. Because even if... She, let's, let's just go with a, a, a glimmer of hope and say that she was never uh, sexually assaulted, but she'd witnessed her mother's acts with, her, with customers. Even if people want to argue... Uh, if if she wasn't witnessing you know somebody being choked and repeating that and backing up the fact that she is impressionable the fact that she was thrown out a window and she threw a boy out the window you know that the pattern there you could argue both sides that she well, was abused or she well, wasn't but it's 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 so messed up well well the fact is that that she she engaged in in a lot of violence which would probably indicate that that, that she's been a victim of violence herself and then she went on to have murderous intent. Um, she she got a hold of the first little boy, um, Martin Brown, and she actually poisoned him, which was what happened to her. She would be poisoned by her mum. She would be uh, given sleeping tablets and knocked out. And where have we heard that one before? Of course, yeah, um, of course. Y you know, we, we heard that, didn't we? And uh, again, for what reason would she do that to her? That might bolster my theory that, it was part of the the, the sex business our mum was in. And, and as we know, kids are a massive commodity and people will pay for a child. And 80% um, of, of all sexual abuse goes on in the home. 80% of all sex goes on uh, involving parents. So there's no uh, real sort of surprise in that front. Um, what Mary had done, she, she, she got all this boy and... and uh, his body was found um, a few days later. Um, they didn't know what had happened to him. He'd just gone blue, like he'd been choked, um, but he'd actually been poisoned and, and, and there was injuries on him as well. Um, so she sort of got away with him. He's just his lifeless body was found. And see, this is where it gets really, really um, spiteful because Mary and her friend then broke into a children's nursery and they left notes um, which were quite articulate for a kid. Because Mary had a very high IQ as well. Very intelligent. And there's something that's very disturbing that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But she'd left notes basically admitting to them. And she'd actually drawn um, in her workbook at school like a newspaper report about a boy found missing and he'd been drugged. So she's sort of given herself up. and. Um, Someone had put and proffered her name up, and then these notes were found um, in a nearby nursery that had been broken into by a 10 year old girl. And also, the school teacher then highlighted it that he's deeply concerned about Mary Bell. Um, but Mary, two days before the little boy's funeral, little Matthew Brown's funeral, the body was laying um, in the coffin for the funeral preparations um, in an open casket. Uh, you know, for the family and friends to view, and Mary actually knocked on the door and asked to see the um to see the dead body. 
um, very macabre little girl. Yeah. Um, and so that the second uh, murder of Brian Howard, three-year-old, so the first one was only four, the three-year-old, it actually, um, the boy had been strangled and Mary had carved her initials into his thighs with a pair of scissors. You know, bizarre, um, sadistic thing to do. It's, uh, it's very... I'm going to I'm going to ask an interesting question here and for this particular segment I want you to take off your your retired police officer hat okay and put on your religious christian hat for a second okay well well th this is exactly where I'm going okay, so preempted okay. that one okay cuz yeah. I'm just going to ask yeah. you from a religious spiritual point of view yeah is this little girl possessed because yeah right right Okay, this okay, is where we're going now. Your taste buds going now, John. It, it, I can it, hear it. I, I need, I need to finish uh, where I'm going with this because okay, this, this will lead straight. Keep, I will keep straight into your hand here. I'm, I'm, now, if you look, if you look at her eyes, people were mesmerised by this girl. She had a hypnotic glare. And when you look at the pictures of her, it's it's shocking. You're like, whoa, whoa. First time I saw it, it frightened me. You know, looking at, it, thinking, wow, there's something powerful in this girl. The police was so taken back by her. Um, she was very confident. She lacked any sort of remorse. She was highly intelligent, highly articulate. And they had to do everything with a very straight back. So what they did was they decided uh, with a legal team that they're going to not pull any surprises when they interview her, but they're going to write down a whole uh, raft of questions. They're going to write them down and they're going to stick so they're written questions and not deviate from them. When they interviewed Mary, she, for the first qu first question asked of her, she then rattled off four answers. And she answered not only the first question, but the next four questions. Oh. She then went on to answer every single question, but four in advance. So she was answering questions that, that hadn't even been asked, that were fourth down on the list. And she hadn't been given any disclosure, nor had her legal team. Yeah, that's and it absolutely strange. shocked the daylights out of the investigating officers. They were so taken back by it. Yeah, anyone else? So that taken... just, uh, anyone else that just got goosebumps listening to that? You're not. Yeah, alone. yeah, yeah. Now, uh, now this, you're going to see the similarities. Mary uh, was again. There was no public outrage, right? She killed two kids. In a brutal, sadistic way, she went to Red Bank. There was no protests. The trial was, you know, um, non you know, uh, not extraordinary in any way. Um, she went on to have a child, and she went on to reassimilate into society. She was released from custody in 1980. Okay, so she went away. Um, in 1968 and and so she did like 12 years in custody so very similar to what the the bulger boys did um there was a slight hiccup uh where she was identified and they had to move her again but on the whole as far as anyone's aware she went to bring up a child without incident i think she got married she had a family and she reintegrated into society and no one ever ever heard any more about mary bell um which is um well it just goes to show that you know uh, 11 and a half years she did in custody 
Um, uh, so the, any, the, any now, rumors about her finding God or religion or anything that's gone on in the prisons that could tie together, no, you know, an exercising of the demon, so to say? No, no. But wow. this is where we're going next. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor, AG1. Why do you like AG1 so much, Jim? So before I start my morning routine, I always have a glass of AG1 with my coconut water to kickstart my day. We drink it literally every day. And that's because AG1 helps build your health first, foundation up. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water every day? AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. That's drinkag1.com forward slash Sean. Check it out. Thanks for supporting our sponsor, AG1. Link is in the description box. We're moving forward now um, to uh, 1992. And this is, we're going to be talking about a girl called Sharon Carr. So Sharon Carr is Britain's youngest female murderer. Uh, she got convicted in 1997 for the murder of an 18-year-old trainee hairdresser called Katie Ratcliffe in Camberley in Surrey. Um, and, and Sharon Carr um, was born in 1981, and she was labelled the devil's daughter. Now, there's some fascinating similarities between Sharon and Mary. Okay. Now, uh, again, we've got Sharon come from a highly dysfunctional family, violence, um, abuse of all sorts going on. Uh, in the family, uh, she's the fourth uh, child out of four. Um, three other siblings all have different dads. Uh, her early years uh, started in the uh, Central American country of Belize, which was, you know, a, a, a British um, dependency and still is. It used to be British Honduras. Now I think it's independent now, isn't it? Um, but um, the the British Army are. are uh, station there. Her mother um, was very violent to all, all of them and her mother shacked up with uh, a British soldier who was serving in Belize with the British Army and he returned uh, back to his barracks um, in Surrey and actually took uh, Sharon and her siblings with him. So she, she came to the UK uh, when she was a young girl I think about, I don't know, about 10 or something like that. I'm not too sure. Might have been a bit earlier. And she was already displaying disturbing signs uh, related to, to a troubled upbringing. And one of the things that they found, um, and, and this really goes for victims of long-term domestic violence, severe domestic violence, is that it actually causes, that sort of trauma causes brain damage. A tangible damage to the to the to the frontal cortex of the brain. It causes damage, and and so do, does with children that have grown up in an area of extreme violence over a prolonged period. It physically causes a damage to the brain, and and especially if it's been a very unloving 
and violent environment, you know, there is going to be not just long term and almost certainly permanent psychological and emotional damage, but also a tangible physical damage as well. And studies have shown that. Um, but here's something that, that takes us to, to a more sinister level. And this may account for Mary Bell's um, very disturbing background, is that Sharon Carr's mother was a practitioner of voodoo. And so when the slaves okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, came from West Africa and, and, and were taken to, to the New World, the Caribbean islands, so a lot of people think, think that the, um, the, the African slaves went to America. It was only 600,000 went there. Three million alone went to Jamaica. You know, and, and the British colonies, such as Belize, um, and others went to Cuba and places like that. And what, what they did, they, they wasn't allowed anything that was connected to their old life. And, and, and especially slaves that were taken from uh, Nigeria and Benin, they, voodoo is practiced there. And voodoo is, is and you know, a, an occultic uh, worship. And now there, there, there's arguably there's two sorts of voodoo. One is um, uh, good voodoo, and the other is bad voodoo. Uh, anyway, this woman w wasn't worshiping the um, yeah. the good version, of course. Uh, so you can, you can heal, help, and heal, or you can hurt, maim, and kill. Well, that's it. Exactly. Using incantations and, and prayers to what they call the orishas, which are the you know the, the you know the spirits. Um, now, voodoo, voodoo was banned, so what a lot of the slaves did was that they um, they hid it in Christianity. So Santeria, for example, which which is very uh, widespreadly worshipped in in the um, the old uh, colonial and and um, sort of slave uh, areas, places like uh, Puerto Rico and Cuba, Santeria is voodoo, but where they've combined it. Uh, with, with the worship of Christian, uh, well, Roman Catholic deities, Roman okay. Catholic um, saints. Yeah. So they would use them as a sort of like a front, really, for this darker um, spiritual belief system. Uh, Jamaica formed a thing called Obia, which is very similar. And it, it's all the same. It, it's an occultic uh, demon worship. And, and it is an ancient belief system. So. Um, Sharon's mother was heavily involved in the occult, in, in voodoo, and she was a practitioner of it. So that may well have had some... And a practitioner or, of the dark. Maybe, dark. almost certainly would have had a negative influence yeah. um, and even maybe opened her up spiritually. Um, and if Sharon is then uh, used in rituals, which I've spoken to enough um, children of... Uh, Satan worshipping parents and you know the kids don't get away with it you know they are brought in and they're a commodity because these demons there well, is a lot of it's... sexual perversion and and, and and there is a lot of um sacrifice now yeah. Sharon's mother would sacrifice she was involved in 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 dealing with sacrifices um well what's interesting as well is when we look at voodoo and we look at the specific way that the the magic of what that belief is done it is bringing forth an entity right and when we, yeah well yeah yeah and when it's we, an invocation yeah and when we look into that on a, on on some occasions these entities need a vessel 
John, right? Yep. Which is a way to walk among us, okay? And yep. it wouldn't be out of the question for... It would be interesting to know what child in the order of children she was, um, if she was a firstborn or, or whatever. No, no, she wasn't. She was the last. Was she the first? Um, was she a firstborn girl? Was it? What was it? Yeah, I'm not sure what the gender of the others were. Okay. Um, but not that it, it matters. Not that it matters. Anyway, this is, we're just I'm just yeah. pulling the theories out yeah, of the backside here. But it, it it's not out of the question that if you're a believer in those things, that she could have been used as a vessel in a in oh. a voodoo ritual. Of course. Now, I, 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 and this does come out because she does get labelled the devil's daughter. Um, she had incredible strength, this girl, uh, strength beyond her physical frame. And she goes on to commit the most atrocious injuries, which would only really be akin to that of, of, of like the Yorkshire Ripper or Jack the Ripper, with a very sexual element to them. Um, on, on the victim, and this come about. So we've got Katie Ratcliffe is out um, partying one night. She's broken up from her boyfriend. She's an 18-year-old uh, trainee hairdresser, and she's gone to a club called Ragamuffins in Camberley in Surrey. Um, she's last seen having an argument with her ex-boyfriend, and then she, she's gone missing, right? The next day... Um, some boys that are on a sleep out in their back garden get up in the early morning, go for a walk, and outside a nearby graveyard, they find the body of a young girl, which turns out to be Katie Ratcliffe, um, partially naked, and she'd been ripped to pieces. She had 32 uh, wounds, stab wounds, uh, some of them so violent that the knife actually went through the whole, uh, with a long-bladed knife, went through, through the the whole width of the body when it went in the front and out the back and there was significant damage and stab wounds to the and the breasts and the body is laid splayed out uh in the star formation outside the gates of uh, a churchyard graveyard and the police believe that they were hunting a man if not two because of of how the body was laid they don't know how it got there and the wounds were absolutely horrific and just, just, just to remind us, how old was she again? She was eleven when she did this. Eleven. And we're talking about 11. the the concept of a eleven year old being able to do that damage, transport a body, because obviously she's not done the murder on the corner, right? And uh, yeah, well, what what's happened is this: uh, there was uh, she was out. Um, uh, patrolling around the streets in the back Hi. of a car with two grown men. She's eleven years old. Jesus. Uh, at the early in the early hours of the morning, so her mum obviously d- doesn't give a toss for her. So then, now we've got similarities with with the three previous kids. You know, violence, parents who don't give a toss. This um, is is very similar to Mary Bell's in as much as the mother We're plays a key role. In, in, in the downfall here of and this girl. The mother, um, on one occasion, poured boiling hot fat over a boyfriend, her partner's head, while Sharon sat and watched w- w- expressionless. And the guy even said what frightened him more was that Sharon just stood there with, with no expression whatsoever. So she's well, very accustomed mother, to extreme violence. Her mother did 
her, just say that again. Her mother burnt her boyfriend's head with hot oil while her daughter watched. Yeah, a boiling hot fat poured it on his head in front of the children and, and See, uh, in front know, of Sharon. If we, if we look at demons and we look at the purpose of demons and how they get power, if, again, you believe in this sort of thing, the corruption of innocence, a young 11-year-old, if she was possessed, sneaking around with, with men being getting you know doing whatever was happening that level of destruction of the innocence is so tangible to you know cases of possession and strength promiscuousness intelligence vocabulary the way that the individuals look all of this has fallen into place for these last two cases i mean i know this may be obvious but my mind is blown once again but what 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 is different with this this one is the fact that the, the the attack is is aimed at women. Now maybe that's because her target might subconsciously be a mother, or what the mother's done to him. We don't know. But she's eleven year old with two grown men. I mean, what's going on there? Uh, how uh, anyway they? Uh, how, how did they that pitched, come about? They unless they were well, opportunistic a, men, and she was wandering about. You, you know, and, and I can't really see an eleven year old fixing all that up for herself. You know, back then. It just seems, well, it well, just well, seems well, mad. What, what, has that, what has happened is that Katie's seen walking distressed uh, in the early hours of the morning. The, the car pulls up with um, young Sharon in the back, the two grown men, you know, in their older years. Uh, and I think these are grown men. These are middle-aged men. These aren't like young uh, 18-year-olds. These are grown middle-aged guys. They've uh, got Katie in the car. She's realised that, that this isn't what she wants. Um, there has been, there was signs of rape on, on Katie. So the assumption is that one of these guys has raped Katie. Um, she's tried to, she's in, she's managed to get away actually and run off. Uh, in, in which case, um, Sharon has picked up a knife, a six inch bladed domestic kitchen knife chased after no actually i think it was nine inches in length and, and three inches in width uh chased after katie and j just brutally stabbed her and what's happened then these guys have driven off and left katie uh with sharon and sharon then drags the body a considerable distance um and dumps it outside the churchyard in, in quite a sort of a a satanic pose as it were in like a pentagram fashion but with, with, with horrific injuries sexualized injuries to, to the vagina and the breasts um and no 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 one's ever caught uh initially so we we, we, we go for quite a few years and no one's caught um uh sharon then just, just goes out of control and she comes to notice um a couple of years later because she stabs um, for no reason whatsoever, a young girl in a school. She lures a girl into the toilets, claiming that she'd lost uh, a pound coin and wants a girl to help her. Everyone's frightened of her. Um, all the pupils are scared of her. Again, they say she's got a very powerful stare. Um, she would fight with girls and with boys. So we strong parallels between Mary Bell and this girl. And the girl is then taken to the toilet, thrown on the floor. Uh, she tries to get away. And Sharon plunges a large knife into her lungs and collapses her lungs. Uh, the girl 
makes a physical recovery, but, but never really gets over it. Um, she's arrested. Um, she's taken um, for some sort of uh, assessment and she beats up the staff. So she overpowers four members of staff and attacks them. Nah, um, there's no... Listen, I, I, like, I'm sorry. If, if any of you were thinking these two are crazy for talking about possession, she's a living, okay? For one person, sure, you can imagine that there's an 11 year old out there that could whip someone's ass, but four people, okay? Yeah. Well, it gets it gets even more sinister because where, wherever she's placed, they, it then comes out that that this girl has actually committed a murder. I think she she makes reference to it, or they find she keeps a journal. That's right, she keeps a journal. In which she says, um, I'm a killer and I enjoy it, and business is good. Um, she then claims to have voices in her head and the devil is talking to her. She then writes that when she looks in the mirror, she sees the devil, and the devil is her. Now, I've heard this before by a murderer, uh, a guy that got convicted of murder, and he said the same. He said when he was in prison, he looked in the mirror and he saw the devil. And I said, Well, what does the devil look like? He said, well, it was me. And she then says, goes on to in her journals to write about doing the devil's work and that she wants to carry on murdering. And, and she's learned many lessons from murder, from murdering Katie. And the next time she's going to torture the person a lot more because it's what the devil wants. Wow. So she, she makes clear written testimony to the fact that, that she is possessed by the devil. Um, she stands trial she is found guilty of murder uh but later she is actually taken to broadmoor hospital because she is so violent the violence is is just off the scale she remains in custody to this day there were there were calls to get her released after 10 years you know as as with all the others but it hasn't happened she remains locked up um indefinitely uh, there, there is no indication that that she's changed, that she's reformed, that she's a born again Christian or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but an incredibly disturbing case. Um, it really is. And, I, I was just reading over the the late, like the most recent bit of news about her, and that was in September 2022, where she's asking for a release date. Um, and they go on to state multiple times her lack of remorse, her bragging. Uh, it, it really is a massive contrast. Do you know what it is? It's almost like when we looked at the the Bulger case, we had the, the two boys. And if we look at these as, as the two girls, we had one that was sentenced and went on to have a normal life and the other that seems to have not changed. And it's... Yeah, and, and, and again, it, it's this uh, demonic influence yeah. that, that, you know, and some people say, look, that, that person, they've got the devil in them, and that, and it may well be the case here. Uh, I mean, it it doesn't really form part of the, the, the legal proceedings, only as much as the evidence, the written evidence she, she makes testimony to is, is proclaiming that she is possessed and, yeah. and the devil is within her. And all that, uh, whether that was an influence to to a sentencing and and the, and the uh, finding of guilt, I'm not sure. But that that definitely does seem to 
to be something that that is aiding and abetting her. And again, the same with Mary Bell. There is something that is driving Mary Bell. And Mary Bell, I find the more disturbing out of all of them, um, because firstly, because of her eyes are just absolutely yeah. freaky, um, and the, and the fact that that she they found that she manipulated near enough everyone, grown men, yeah. and that the way she could predict the questions to total accuracy that she was going to ask yeah. and, and answer them with total clarity Mary and, Bell, and with, with real articulation. Mary Bell with the questions, and then uh, Sharon with the dragging of the body and attacking and winning yeah. at 11 with four people. When we, when we talk about what some people will say is outlandish nonsense, when we bring in spirituality, possession into this, you really have to ask yourself, if you and three of your friends grabbed the toughest 11-year-old you know, there's no way in hell that four year, that 11-year-old's overpowering four of you. He's only got four limbs, you know? Yeah. If two of you hold his arms while the other, one, the other two of you start drop-kicking him, that's it. It's done. Yeah, and, and, and when we, we look at, there's some, some brilliant uh, podcasts coming out at the moment, and they're by Catholic priests, exorcists. You know, oh, and, yeah, and very interesting. It, it, you know, it's a thing. It's not uh, just something someone's made up. It really is a thing. And, and part of the criteria, that, you know, they say is that the person has superhuman strength and a knowledge of things they should not know. Correct. Uh, yeah. Well, of course, we've got that with both, Sharon Carr, and, and we got that with Mary Bell. Um, and then if we look at the Bulger boys, well, what they did was, was just pure evil with, with, with actually no regard for, for this angelic little boy whatsoever. Um, and whether or not their influence was a temporary one and, and whether Sharon Carr was more of a, a permanent picture, you know, we, we don't know. But, um, you know, like well, I said to you at the very start when we started doing these, you know, your mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. Correct. And and it, I, I just find that these cases, these child murder cases in the UK, in, in apart from Mary Bell, which goes slightly into antiquity, the rest of them are very much in living memory. And um, and all, all, all of these um, four suspects, you know, they're still alive. As much as we know, we don't, you know. Yeah, that's true. But you know, uh, they're they're still alive and and in, just phenomenal. Why did they do it? You know, it's never really disclosed why yeah. and what was behind and what was the influence. And um, I find it fascinating. And I don't in any way take the emphasis away from the poor victims. Of course not. Um, and there's no titillation in this with me whatsoever. But these are kids that, that, you know, they walk among us all the time. But the one thing, the one thing that unifies all of these is the failings by their parents. Now, I'd like to um, to, to end this on, on, on something that, that was said to me by, okay. by a guy that I, I used to do a lot of work with, with informants and, and, and ex-criminals that would talk to me, whether they were registered or unregistered informants. And... There's one guy that, that always stays in my mind, and I, I, uh, I'm not going to say his name or anything like that because the guy is dead now. But you know, out of out respect for him, really, but um, heavily involved in in very, very, very violent crime and some very serious organised crime as well. Probably, without a doubt, that the hardest man I have ever ever met 
in my life. Um, and this guy, he used, to, he used to say to me, he said, he used to call me Johnny. And he said, Johnny, he said, uh, you know, when I, I would fight, and he would, he could bare knuckle fight, and he, he used to do quite a lot of it. And he said, when I would fight, he said, if there was someone that really used to upset me, and I'd have to have to go and have a word with them, which meant go and give them a good kicking. Um, he said, I wouldn't give them a hundred percent. I'd give them fifty percent of what I had, and I'd keep fifty percent in the tank uh, for other people. And I went, okay. And he went, do you know? who I'd go and uh, give the rest of it to. I went, no, he said, their mum and dad. He said, because I couldn't blame that idiot um, all the way because he has his choice and that's resulted in him getting a good kicking off me. He said, but his mum and his dad made him and they needed a beating. So he would go round to the mum and dad, don't matter how old they are Fuck or whatever. And, and he said, I would give his old woman an open-handed slap round the chops. And he said, and the old man would get maximum. He said, and that's what he said, give, get maximum. He said, I would beat the daylights out of his old man. Damn. And many years, I, I struggled with his rationale. I'm thinking, I don't know. But, but then as I went through life, I thought there was some sort of method in that madness. There, there, there was some sort of psychology in that. And it was almost tribal that the parents had to pay yeah. for what they done and and whereas in our society we pull it all down on to the to, to the one you know yeah. like um venables thompson bell and Carr. we put it on their shoulders but we never ever hold accountable the failings of their parents yeah they in my opinion are as culpable as the child themselves and and i think in a fair society they should be gripping the rail with their children or at least punished uh, uh, for their their monumental failings. If you had a dog and you brutalised that dog and it become dangerous and it went out and it attacked someone, you would be culpable. The dog would be put down and you would grip the rail in the court. See, that's, 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 that's an interesting that's an interesting conversation, I have to say. And I, I want to hear what people think on that because it is a, it's an interesting uh, concept and... I think it's going to be one that we we will discuss in the comments. In the coming weeks, we are going to be going over uh, the comments and things like that. Um, we, we just haven't quite got there yet. So is there anything else you want to touch on in this, John? Because I think that has been a fantastic dive into children that kill. The cases you've presented have been absolutely fantastic because the the arguments for broken homes being the, the 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 only reason the possibility of something more sinister being at work with the occult and and all kinds of uh, dark dark realms of magic it's shocking it's fascinating leave us your comments down below and john let us know if there's anything else you want to let us uh, let us let us know there was uh one guy contacted me when i was doing my uh podcast with the victims and survivors and and this guy um he came really with his cap in his hand and he said john I, you know i've followed you for a long time and he said and no, no, you, you you do get attacked uh mercilessly sometimes on on social media and i, I did i probably got trolled as much as david Icke did um and because of the topic i deal with and and it's a very emotive uh topic and he said i want you i want to tell you now that a lot of the people 
because uh, I'm a survivor myself that attack you, that they've got very guilty consciences. And I went, well, that would make sense. He said, of course, because you're talking about something uh, that, that is stirring up. And there are quite a lot of victims who go on to abuse their own kids. And factually, that's the case. And I said, yes, I know. And he said, I, I'm one of them. I, I abused my own daughter. And I'd like you to give me the platform. And I said, unfortunately, I can't do that. Damn. He said, well, will you listen to my story? I said, yes, of course I'll listen. Anyway, he went on to probably tell me one of, it, it probably is the worst uh, testimony of, of someone enduring horrific abuse, which involved bestiality and ritualistic abuse and, and the awfulness. And he suffered bad. His, his colon was ripped open. He nearly died. He was made to have sexual dogs, um, all from a very young age. And he went on to commit a sex act on, the, on his daughter. And he, and he explained, this is why he did it. You know, I'm not saying I agree with him and all that, but I, I did give him the respect for his honesty. And yeah. he said, you know, there, there's many out me. And when you get someone like you that speaks about this and airs it, they get angry and they, they think that, that you can look into their heart and know what they've done. And that's why they attack you. I said, well, that would make a lot of sense. What he did was um, he actually gave an insight, not just from uh, like a criminal uh, court evidence point of view, but from someone who is a file by definition of the law, but he's explaining why. And, and again, he didn't do it for sympathy, but of course we need to know these things. And, and like my good friend Corinne, the profiler said, she said, you know, she's the only uh, therapist that she knows that deals with child murderers the rest of them won't deal with it she said but i'm the only one with an insight <clears throat> first-hand insight into the mind of a child killer whereas the others don't yeah just yeah, so. exactly what you said there was i always said when i was doing my investigations and my documentaries when people asked me how i could interview the people that i would interview all on encrypted networks on the dark web so they can't they don't know yeah. who i am i don't know who they are but for me, you learn nothing from the you learn nothing from the lion in the zoo, okay. And when you look at a predator behind a cage as a civilian, that's the 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 interactions that I've had have been you know watching the news, and you've got a paedophile who's been arrested, and he's so sorry, and you know this. There's always a projection of guilt and feeling like they're reformed when they're approaching release or or wanting release. And you learn nothing from a caged predator. You have to study them in the wild in order to understand what it is that they do, their methods, their hunting techniques. And just for those of people who may have thought, well, that's really shocking that the story about you just told and why would you listen to him and all the rest. Extracting information, methods, tactics, all of this stuff is what profiling is. It's what building up a case and a, and a study on an individual is. And it, it helps you identify uh, these traits and others and that's why i always say you can never study a lion in the zoo yeah and also an investigator you've got to look at information which goes towards your target and away from your target um and this is where we have seen travesties injustice like when we go back to to barry balsara barry george we saw a very blinkered um investigative um approach to it yeah because they I, did him is a killer and no one else and and they were wrong they were off the mark and 
and again with Colin Stagg, and we can go on and on and on. We can, uh, and I, 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 I honestly feel that there's so much we can learn from the the crimes of the past, and. When we look at Mary Bell, we look at the sentencing she got, the fact that she was released, she's out there living a normal life, all the rest of it. Um, in comparison to Sharon, she's still locked up. Time periods and the way that we look at the capabilities of children have changed in, over time. And I don't think we'll ever see another case like Mary Bell with sentencing the way that it was. I think it's always going to be in line with uh, the Sharon case. And, you know, thank you, John, again for bringing these cases to our light. And I had never heard of Mary Bell. And that is a crazy case that we could, like I say, jump down many different theories, uh, all of which have the same horrific ending. Um, but thank you. Thank you for joining me once again, John. Honestly, I can't, I can't get enough of these conversations every week. This one has been my favourite so far because it's just blown my mind the avenues we went. Yeah, I've, I've, this, same for me. This has been the most compelling one for yeah. me. Yeah, compelling. That's the better word. That's a better word. Um, that's a much better word for him. Yeah. So thank you for, for watching, everybody. Leave us your comments. I keep saying this. It is a conversation. We are going to be um, expanding on all of this. And we've got lots in store. So come back and see us next week. Thank you so much for joining us. John, as always, you make this show what it is. So thank you so, so much for uh, for being here and giving up your time once again. Remember to follow John's links that are in the, the description below. Come and subscribe to my channel, Project Rook. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the Sean Atwood channel with the bell on. Leave a like, share this. Go and tell all your friends that are into true crime because trust me, they will love this. So John, thank you. Thank you for watching everybody. And for me, Ron Swanson, as always, be safe out there, guys.